This is Rated Raw with Alex Evers and Jamie Price. All right, what's up, everybody? We're here, Rated Raw, episode one, the kickoff, the first one of the season. It's not exhibition anymore, folks. It's the real league, and we're here talking photography with one of the biggest legends in F1 photography, Jamie Price. What's up, Jamie? Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm Alex Evers. I take pictures of horses, amongst other things. He's a legend that takes (laughs) pictures of horses. (laughs) The legend word is flying around here early today. Alex has been a good friend of mine for a long time, and... um. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked to be doing this podcast with you, dude. This is going to be fun. Likewise, man. I just enjoy talking to you, and I think it's going to be a good time. You've got a pretty pro mic setup, man. Like, I'm kind of jealous. Dude, I came came fuego. Everything I do, I do big, and I just know that this is going to be a success, right? Just out-of-the-box success. We tell everybody (laughs) that photography is a grind, and it's hard, and it's long. We're going to come out of here flaming podcasts right to the top. Like Scarface. <laughs> We're going straight to the top, my friend. Hey, perfecto. Hey, well, cheers, so, uh, bud. What are you drinking today? You got, uh, what do you got over there? I am drinking Birdsong Rewind, which is a lager. I'm kind of a lager man myself. Give me a Bud Light any day. Let's, let's roll. But, um, <laughs> this is a, a local Charlotte beer. It's nice. I really like it. It's going down pretty well. I'm a, I'm going to throw it back to my old career when I got stuck in Central California for three months in Lompoc, and we got a nice 805 right here, a Central Cali beer of sorts. It's kind of light. It tastes like a Bud Light, but a little bit better. Nice. Hey, don't be hating on Bud Light, man. Hey, how many Bud Lights can you drink in one sitting? Are you going through 24 or, or a whole 30 rack to yourself? Like, do you get do you get cases? Like, you're hey, can you pick me up two cases of Bud Light? Or I, I, I try and keep it at two. But still able to shoot because it's so it's hydrating, really. It's just two case, water two with cases. a little flavor. Yeah, two cases. So it's you drinking two twenty fours or you drinking sixty? Two twenty fours. I can't even do that math, dude. That's what happens when you drop out of college. <clears throat> Tough math. So what are we what are we doing here, Jamie? What is what's this podcast thing about? This is new media for us. This is new media for us. Personally, this podcast for me is a way to share some of our experiences that we've had over the years and um, challenge some people because I think there's some some things in photography that I don't know like where people assume that you know they got these ideas from, but I think that this is a way for us to to kind of help those that either are professional photographers or want to be professional photographers. I think that's really our, our key demographic is the people that want to be professional photographers. What do you think about that? I like it. I think we take anybody but, can take their photography to the next level with just a couple of few tips too. Just like being a little bit more professional, maybe a little bit of social media tips, maybe just a better voice on social media. Yep. All those things. But the I'm a I love podcasts and I love video podcasts, which is why we wanted to do this in a video format where we drink and basically just talk and shoot the shit together but um i love podcasts but i just kind of feel like they're a little bit bland and there's not a lot of substance or truth and honesty to them and anybody that knows me i'm i'm a little bit um opinionated and maybe a little bit brutally honest and maybe we can help people learn from our mistakes on this what do you think (laughs) well at least your nickname is not jamie the butcher (laughs) 
you're not you're not that rough on people. No, I'm not. Not yet, anyway. I mean, I am. Nope. I'm young. We got. To, I got time to to culture this. I think. Uh, I think being honest with it. I mean, I don't know anything other than what I'm gonna. The advice that I'm gonna give is what I've lived. That's all I know. You know, like I, I know about starting out. I know about having some struggles, and now I'm transitioning from corporate. I've been freelance for a full year now, so it's another new adventure. And then as we do this, I'm sure we're gonna come up with some more wild stuff that happens along the way. I know you're expecting a little one coming, which is probably going to change yeah. the price point, huh? Yeah. It, actually, I told my uh, clients at the beginning of the year this year, I jokingly said it, but I'm not joking that my price is going up just because it's a baby tax. <laughs> yeah. You got you to pay the Jimmy Price baby tax. This is, this is, you're paying the infant tax. And uh, anybody that has kids knows that there's a lot of stuff to buy and ours hasn't even come out of the womb yet. And there's a lot of stuff to buy. So... I can't even imagine. It's, uh, photography is a business and never, ever forget that. And my clients, I try not to let them forget that, but I do it in nice ways. But there's definitely a baby tax that has been implemented this year. And I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty happy about that because it means ultimately more money for me. So, yeah. But you mean, um, it's going right to the baby, bud. It's going all to the kid. It, I know. And that's what that's the frustrating part. But <laughs> it is what it is. I should I should have implemented a just like a you know a, a tax earlier that didn't include babies so I could enjoy the the growth the, the party tax yeah the party tax the let's go get drunk tax yeah uh, anyway um, tax. so Alex what makes you other than a legend what makes you a voice of expertise to podcast on the subject of photography because. Personally, I'm a little skeptical of a dude that has crazy ass hair like you and wears shades in his first podcast. I mean, I'm co- I'm covering up the hair because it's a little questionable right now. I don't want to look. I don't want to look like it's a fashion show. Let's put it that way, bud. And so, what what Thanks. makes me Man. the I know. Well, at least we're not sponsored by Patagonia this time. The last time we talked, no. we were like wearing matching jackets. We look like twins. Damn it. Uh, well, I mean, for me, I think what makes me an expert on the photography space is that I've been shooting professionally since 2005, but the journey to get there was short, but the journey to get here and sustained as a freelancer, because like you've said, it's a different ball game when you're a corporate photographer, which I was for eight years, and being freelance, totally different thing. I mean, when I made the switch, you were somebody that I looked up to doing it because I'd watched you make that transition before and I knew that I could do it because you did it. So let me hear a little bit about your story. Tell the kids how you got to be Jamie Price, <laughs> F1 legend, and then I'm I'll share a little F1 bit about legend. Because I you're an F1 legend to me, bud. That's fair. And you're a horse racing legend to me. How how are we doing on the legend counter right now? Uh over under. We got to be at 8 right now. So backstory i really don't shoot that much f1 these days I, i've done a fair amount of formula one but mostly my work is restricted to the automotive sports car world um sports car racing in general but i do the occasional formula one race still but um i was given a camera a nikon d80 this is in no way sponsored by nikon <laughs> or anybody actually we have not, not been sponsored not by anybody not yet but we are open to sponsorship requests but um, so I was given a Nikon D80 for my 21st birthday when I was in college, and 
I took to it like a duck to water. I just loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing ever to be able to share my world, share my view, share what I was seeing in college. I took my camera to swim meets. I was a collegiate swimmer for four years. Um, I was also a horse racing jockey, which, you know, something that I'm very passionate about and really how Alex and I met is from our horse racing photography connections back in 2011. But I just, I loved, I loved being able to take my camera to the sporting events that I was competing in. And it was something that a way for me to, to show how much I loved those events, whether it be swimming or horse racing or fly fishing or whatever it was, I could share those experiences with people. And it was really cool. And it just kind of started developing into something where I took it to a, a point where I was making money off of it really. And kind of started slow. I did some small stuff. I did a lot of collegiate sports, um, with the camera. I worked for the, the college that I went to center college. So I was the director of photography, um, for the student newspaper and, you know, the staff photographer for the student newspaper. And then just kind of started slowly growing things from there, started covering dirt track races in Kentucky, covered lawnmower racing in North Carolina for a little bit, which is the <laughs> coolest thing ever. Is it? Yeah. It sounds so awesome. It sounds awesome. It how is, many guys lost arms? I mean, how many photographs none, of arm losing did you get? It's seriously dangerous. Like they're wearing leather caps. Like they're, it's, 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 hardcore um, so when you say start out when you say start out at like the bush tracks and you give that advice you shot lawnmower racing like yeah. is that like the lowest yeah. thing uh i think probably um like what's the soapbox cars would probably be the bottom but you know <laughs> every it's only up hey, i mean lawnmower I, racing would be down there like it'd be like soapbox and then lawnmowers and then karting and then you know dirt track and then all that stuff so i just kind of slowly built it to to the point where I, I became known as a photographer that can cover car racing, um, yeah. and not do it in a, you know, piss poor fashion and just started building clients. And currently I'm, I'm now, I've been working for Lamborghini since 2013. I've worked with Ferrari, Ducati, Red Bull, uh, Puma. I mean, I've kind of been all over the spectrum. I'm also the, the staff photographer for a magazine here in Charlotte covering, Local stuff, but mostly food, um, beverages, uh, cool restaurants and bars, but also a lot of portrait work and just some lifestyle stuff. So I'm, I do a little bit of everything, but I'm 100% freelance photography. I do not have a side job or anything. I did uh, for a long time. I sold burglar alarms here in Charlotte, and I learned a lot, but that's that's kind of my story. It's crazy. That is it wild. is crazy. It's been fun though. I wouldn't change anything. I've learned, I've made some mistakes. I've watched of. you from the outside looking in the whole time too, which is great. Like I, yeah. what did you, what did you say? You said I was an arrogant prick or something like that. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Cause I, my early, early knowledge of you was like sports shooter forms and you would just toast guys <laughs> on there. They, they would make a comment and you would just burn them. And I was like, Hey, this guy is legit. And your icon was like, like jockey silks. And you had a picture of like a jockey smiling. I remember on your page, like yeah. a really nice, like, the shot nose down of a jockey smiling. I think it was Calvin Burrell. Really? Calvin really nice. Burrell. I was a little jealous. I was like, this guy is, cause I thought, cause I saw your social media presence and I thought he, you were like the biggest dick and you had a pretty big ego online at the time. Yeah. Again, things that I would change, but well now we're giving advice on kids. So just, do that. Yeah. It's just, um, it's not an, I don't know that it's an ego. It's just like, 
I'm opinionated, maybe too much so, but yeah, people don't like that. Sometimes. No, they don't. It's good no, for like don't. polarity, though, if you want to get a following, because it it, you can get one or the other. But I go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's 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 the Alex Evers story? Well, I, uh, I this is probably why I was really jealous of you. I grew up. I wanted to be a jockey, and so like my earliest memories were watching the Kentucky Derby with my dad. And watching Ali Sheba and Chris McCarron, they stumble at like the eighth pole and he picks them up and he wins. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then two years later, Sunday Silence won and it was this like East Coast, West Coast thing. And it just cemented my love for horse racing at an early age. And so going through school, I followed it and like loved it, watched all the Triple Crown races, go to the track with my grandparents and my parents. And But I got too big to be a jockey. I played hockey instead. And when it came time to go to school, I was going to go to U of A to train racehorses. I remember writing this like essay for a senior scrapbook thing about how I was going to be like basically Chad Brown, the trainer. Now that's who I was going to be. Like I was going to be Bobby Frankel's disciple and come and train the next triple crown winner. And I went to university of Arizona and I didn't like it at all. And I stayed, I think I stayed like 11 days, maybe 21 days, something like that. I can't even remember now. And, uh, Anyway, I moved home and my parents weren't stoked about it and didn't talk to me for a while. And I ended up having to get a real job because like, if you're going to live under a roof, you got to get a job. So I ended up working at a bank. And in the meantime, you know, I'd still love the horses and was going to the races and drawing and sketching. And I picked up like a Fine Picks 300 <clears throat> Fuji, like ultra slow point and shoot piece of garbage camera to take a picture of a horse in the paddock because you push the button on the camera. And this is like 2003 and it would like take a picture and then it would actually take the picture. So you had to like time where oh, they God. were. It was just absolutely brutal. And so I did that for a couple months. And then I thought I needed to get a film camera. And my mom had an AE1 program from the 1984 Olympics from the year I was born. And I used that with an 80 to 200 and shot slide film for like two months. Wow. And worked at a bank. I taught myself the slide film while working at a bank. So if I got a weekend off, I go to the racetrack and we got a nice bonus and my parents were like, put it in the bank. Don't buy a camera, whatever you do. And I went out and bought a 10 D and an 80 to 200 to eight, like the next day the hell with you, mom. And I'm spent going to buy like a an extra, you know, I spent all my money basically on this thing. And with that, I built a small portfolio and this is now brings us up to like 2005. And there was no photographer shooting racing in California. He'd moved back to Kentucky. And so I emailed the company he was working for the small portfolio. And I said, Hey, you don't have a guy in California. I know there's a big race coming up. I'd love to shoot it for you do you have anybody? And I sent them the portfolio. I didn't tell them I'd never shot anything and that I'm, you know, 20 years old and this, that, the other. And they looked at it. Oh, I, know, I do yeah. not know what I'm doing, but I would like to shoot no for clue. you. And so they paid me, I think I got paid like 200 bucks for the assignment or something. And I went and spent $200 to rent a 300 28. So I made no money and I shot way too close. And I got one lucky picture that was in focus and sharp. And it was this one. And it ran in the racing form the next day. And I thought I was a legend at that point. I was like, I made it. Like, I'm you are a legend here. though. And then I got banned the next day. Oh. <laughs> and, and so I went from this like legend, like I just hear, it's in the racing form. And then you're not coming back, bud. And so it started just, wait, 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 wait. Like Why did they ban you? Um, the media director said I was selling pictures on eBay. Were you? No. I mean, how was I selling pictures on eBay two days after the event? Like they didn't have buy it now then. Let's let's name and shame. Who was the racing director? Uh, Mike Mooney. He died a couple months later. I think he died like nine months later. And that's how I got back in. All right. They wouldn't take, they wouldn't take, they wouldn't take a meeting and the tracks closed. So it doesn't even much matter now, but they wouldn't take any, I couldn't sit down and explain myself and this, that, the other. 
but it was a threat to like the tra- to like the local photographers coming in and stuff and there but back then they didn't just credential social media and anything else you had to have yeah. like a real publication backing <laughs> you to come in and do this and without having like built do they credential social media for tracks you can work for like a website now. Like if there's a website that has like 2000 followers, they consider that a legit publication. It's not too hard to, to create something like that. There's a lot of people that oh, shoot yeah. on, on website stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's but some, any, some website stuff in the car racing world, but it's to big, my knowledge right? yet. They haven't, they haven't credentialed a, bloggers yet? A, a, an Instagram account yet. No, not, <laughs> I mean, I mean, not it, Instagram yet, the, but we're getting there. Uh, we're, we'll come back to the social media thing. So continue. You, you've and been so banned, and then the I'm banned. You... I get I come back. I get back in. You know, it, it's a slap on the wrist, creative tax, as I call it. And I continue shooting, and then I meet my mentor that summer. So after Hollywood Parkins, I get credentialed for Del Mar a couple months later, and I start working with my mentor Mike Martin, and that's who I wanted to shoot like. So getting that opportunity to work with him, and you know, as I say, it, calling flying it close to the sun, you learn. It's absorbed everything this guy learned. So my education in photography was working with him. And then he let me help with the remotes. And I took over that responsibility and learned all that. And then the next thing you know, you're shooting and you've got all these skills. It's like Mr. Miyagi. You don't know you're learning all this stuff at the time. And then your shooting gets better and you do it every day and you start troubleshooting things. And you learn from all these experiences and then you develop style. But while that was going on, then the economy crashed in 2008. And so I ended up working at an aerospace company. Like I didn't, this horse racing wasn't sustainable then. And at least for me, because I hadn't built what I do enough. And so I went and worked a corporate job from like 2008 to 2017. And I ended up becoming the director of photography, scheduling and designing shoots and doing DP work. And it was fun, but I was ready to make the change when I got laid off. And this best day of my life when they told me I was laid off, like, I was I was trying to burn the candle at both ends, if you will, and work my side racing stuff and travel and go to Hong Kong and do Triple Crown all while working a nine to five job. And they kind of overlapped and I got laid off. That's, for a lack that's of kind talent. of where I was that there was like that balance point where where one was taking away from the other. Yeah, 100 percent. That's kind of where I like chose to to say if to the point where if, if I'm losing the ability to make a living with the the side job like being a, a burglar alarm salesman customer care representative i i would rather be a photographer so i chose the photography because it started like adversely affecting who i was as a customer care representative yeah and it's like for me i just couldn't make that jump i mean we talked about it i think like a year out and stuff and i really wish i had had done it because once i did i saw what the advantage of it was but it's it was, a hard, it's, it's a hard, it's a really hard thing to do. And that's, you know, yeah, you have that, a family, you've got good benefits, you take on responsibilities of whatever it may be. And then, yeah, without knowing you're going to have a paycheck come in every week. Now it's amazing because you have the ability to negotiate rates, say yes, say no to jobs, which is the ultimate creative freedom, if you will, because you don't have to take yep. a job that maybe you're not going to make the best pictures at. But you take it because you have to put gas in the car, you have to pay your cell phone bill or the credit card or the rent or whatever it is. And that puts you in a bad spot, I think, as far as like building work and reputation. If you take too many of those type of assignments where you can't execute, you can build a bad reputation for yourself. And so now you who are some of your your big clients that kind of keep you coming back? Uh, right now, I work with Eclipse Sportswire. We cover all the racing in America. We do Breeders' Cup. Uh, personally, the Hong Kong Jockey Club is a big client of mine. Um, 
who else are we doing stuff with right now? A couple agencies in New York on some creative projects going to be coming out. So it's it's been fun. But I think awesome. using using the horse racing as a vehicle to expose yourself to other work has been a has been a good thing for me. It is. That's great. Well, I'm proud of you because I feel like I've been along for the ride since the that. since the beginning, and you know that's it's uh it's rare to find people that a you click with, but b are on a very similar path to you, and you know there's not a lot of us that are true freelance professional photographers no nothing else sustaining us there's no like side income you know we're working on it's all photography for me and you same and i'm gonna ride this wave as long as i can i think that's gonna be the fun thing about this podcast too is like we're in different parts of our life right different parts of our career and we're gonna see like the ups and downs chatting each week i know we chat off off record all the time on different stuff if i need advice in the photography world so it's kind of fun to be able to do this in a public forum where people can see us interacting and kind of get our thoughts on on some things because i know i go for you to you for advice in the industry all the time same not that i know what i'm talking about i've just pulled no, it but out it helps like creating you a, me. if you know it, it, i can ask you i can ask another guy and if you guys give me two prices or two two ways to go that are similar i know i'm going in the right direction you know that's true that's true so one of the things that I really kind of wanted to, to hit on in this first episode is talk about social media because it's been a big part of both of our careers and both of our businesses. And it's also kind of a, for whatever reason, it's it's a polarizing thing to talk about because not everybody shares the same opinions that we have about it because there's, there's the purists of social media that's like share your cats and dogs and share your babies and share, you know, whatever else that's in your life. But it's not a, they don't see it as a business tool. And then there's you and me who social media is like just literally your own personal advertising platform to gain clients and, and share your work and, you know, make a little side income from prints and whatever else that it is. But like let's kind of let's kind of dive into the social media thing. Well, it's crazy because for for horse racing with the agreements we have, like you sign a lot of the race the racing rights away or back to the track, if you will. So like print sales, like that doesn't exist in my realm. Same same, same in mind. There's some well not like all art. Of it. Yes, like if I go to the beach, I can sell a picture. If I shoot like a silhouette picture in the morning, yes. But like my income's not coming off like the one off, two off print sales. But what you said is it's an advertising platform and it's like, imagine if you have your portfolio in front of X amount of people, whatever your following is and whoever they are, every day you're putting your work out four or five times a day over and over and over and they're seeing new work. They're seeing your story being told over and over and over again. And then when a client thinks, hey, we need a photo coming up or we need a photographer to shoot this story and they see your work over and over and over again, it's like, well, we're just going to hire Alex because why wouldn't you? You just—it's been like jammed into. Dude your looks mind. busy and he's he talented. Looks busy shooting this. Like, here's a nice picture coming out of his camera. Here's a nice picture. Oh, here's a different type of picture that we didn't expect to see out of him. It's like a super wide-angle picture that's showing like a scene. Whatever it may be, you're putting your work out over and over and over again. You're documenting what you've done, your life work essentially, which is unbelievable to go back and look like four or five years ago at what the stuff yeah, was cool. shot. And if it's better or worse hopefully you're getting better. I think my stuff's gotten better. I can see my yeah, eye changing too. a little bit. Same. But it also is so, putting work out in front of people consistently. And I think that's really important. I mean, our, don't we always want to share stuff early? 
Totally. So one of the things that I get asked pretty frequently is how how do you grow a social media platform? Like, let's just say Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. How do you grow? How have you grown your social media platform to to be what it is? I mean, you've got what twelve and twelve and a bit thousand followers as of today, January twenty second, two thousand nineteen. Um, yes, something like that. So how have you gotten it to that point where you have a pretty loyal following of of people that are interested in your content and you get good engagement and you get good likes and you know not all these like the engagement and likes and things aren't important to everybody but if you're yeah. running a business and a brand it is important like it's it is an important part of running a business in the 21st century. So how have you kind of done that? Well I started like I didn't do Facebook at all. So I kind of got off of that in like 2010, 2011, or whatever it was when I met my wife, somewhere around there. Um, and so I didn't have that as like an advertising platform or a place to put my work out consistently and interact with the community of photographers and people into horse racing. And I really wish I did. But when Instagram popped up, I started posting my pictures on it. And I realized kind of early on that people were you could use it to post real pictures, not just your iPhone photos. And so I started doing that. And after every race, I would just post it as my own like newsfeed, like, Hey, here's what I shot for the day. And then I started realizing and seeing a little bit of traction with it. And I was like, Oh, people kind of like this. And then you post a little bit different picture and you start telling the story of a horse and the following keeps growing and growing and growing a little bit. And the way I saw traction was I didn't care. I don't really care about the number of followers. It's not that important to me. It's more about the interactions of those followers. And when people are asking questions about the horses or coming back over and over, when you see the same names, that's when I start feeling, okay, this is kind of working, but all mine's been super organic showing the pictures that I want to show and telling the stories that I want to tell. I haven't yet leveraged advertising dollars. I'm going to start doing it actually this upcoming shoot in Hong Kong and advertising just in Hong Kong to see what that does is like a little test. But I think, that, I think you're going to be surprised because so I'll, I'll tell a quick story. There's a, <clears throat> there's a podcaster as damn podcasters. They're the worst. They're the worst. <laughs> there's a guy that does podcasts, but he also calls himself a photographer as well that covers car racing. And he went on a podcast this past spring and just trashed me and the style of, of how I do business um, and not even like business is how I advertise myself and promote myself. And, you know, this coming from a guy that joined Instagram, you know, a month later or a month prior to, to doing this podcast, he's not a voice of expertise in it, but he had nothing but negative things to say about the way that I was promoting myself and, and sharing the work that I do. And that he said something to the effect of like, my name on social media, Jamie Price photo is just like a cancer. You just see it everywhere. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's free advertising. It's literally free advertising. And there's no other way to, to like talk about it. It's this, this is a business that I own and a business that I run by myself. And this is how I put food on my table. So how, who are you to judge? Like what I, what I show and share and you know the other part is like what does it matter to you so you know it's one of those things like social media is it's just 
an interesting way of of advertising your brand to people that want to see your content. So I think you're going to be really surprised because I've done a few a few marketing campaigns on Instagram and Facebook. The Facebook one was a waste of time. Don't bother. The Instagram one, and I know it's owned by Facebook. The Instagram one was much better. You got I got a lot more engagement out of it. Um, and you just ultimately you want eyes on your content because that's who's going to hire you. Like the people, you, and yes. it's not going to be every person that, that you're engaging with is going to hire you, but I don't know, one in a thousand, one in 1500, one in 2000 or whatever it is, they're going to be the decision makers. Cause everybody has a job. Every single person on this planet has a job, right? Someone's like doing everybody something has, for someone. someone's doing something for someone or they're running something. So if you're putting, if you're putting content in front of the right people that are decision makers, Dude, I've seen it. Get this. So it's just talking about social media and it, and it's a long game. Like if you, and we're tailoring a lot of this to like people that are starting out in photography or want to build their following or want to build their photography business or take it to the next level. Right. And so I'm posting pictures on social media, these horses, right. And a girl is the pony girl on one of the horses. And so send her a picture, right? Whatever. Her family's out the track walking by, shoot a picture of him, send it to him. Long story short, she becomes an art buyer in the industry and needs to buy photos for a farm. Whose photos do they go to look buy? Look at that. Would you look at can it? You, can you come out and shoot horses at our farm because we followed your work she had for, you know, seen it for four or five years in a row. And now it's not their money that they're spending. It's their client, their bosses. They need art. Bring this guy in. And. That's like just one small story of how social media can expose you to new audiences or get you clients, but also how you can build it over time. Cause it's not going to happen overnight. None of this is, I mean, you think no. like Jamie just popped up as this talented car photographer, even if you've just found him on the internet recently, it's like, there's a lot of work that's gone into Jamie becoming Jamie, you know? And it's, and most of it's been, I don't know that I would have been able to do what I've done and make a living like I have if we'd done this 20 years ago, because I mean, yeah, ultimately the, the tactics are the same. It's networking and who, you know, and, and who you can leverage and who, who, you know, work that works for the people that are going to ultimately buy pictures. But now social media has just put it in front of everybody that you've ever wanted to advertise with. It's crazy. And the fact that there's still people out there and, and I'll be honest, it's mostly a generation that existed prior to social media and that free advertising platform that kind of shit on it and look down upon it. But well, because they're the buyers, <clears throat> they're the, they're the people that it, it makes vulnerable the most, right? Because if you're not adept to it, whether you like social media or not, it's happening. Like you can't deny yeah. the yeah. fact that it's out there. Like you can say it's stupid and you can say that like, oh, Jamie's putting his work out too much and all I see is his name on social media. But don't don't look at it, dude. For all, for all I, of that. For I, have, I mean, you don't have to look at it. I have it in my, in my contracts that I send to my clients. Um, and unless they're paying me a really good amount of money where it justifies not having – Not even exclusivity, but justifies not having um, – my name attached to it. But like, if I'm just doing a small, you know, like a team or a driver working for a team or a driver or, or somebody that's pretty small, I, I have it in my contract that 
they need to credit me when they post a picture on social media because it, it's crazy. Most of the work that I'm doing these days is not necessarily geared toward like blowing the picture up and putting it on a billboard or putting it in a magazine or putting it somewhere where it's going to run huge in print. It, most of it is is being used for social media, like Does probably that, 80% of it. That's interesting. Does that affect the gear that you buy? No, because I still want, I still want, it still needs to be quality photography. And that is, I shoot, you know, Nikon gear and glass and that's what I've always shot. Um, but the, the real like telltale of is it doesn't change. It doesn't change what gear I choose because it's social media. Um, it just, it's an interesting change in the industry in that <clears throat> it's not always geared toward like toward putting stuff on a billboard or the front page of, of a magazine. It's like my clients need pictures in real time for, for like social media posts and, and press releases and to share after the race. And a lot of that's social media because that puts it in front of the most eyes the most quickly. Like that picture will be seen more than it would have in a, in a small local magazine, you know, from the driver's hometown or something, it's getting in front of, you know, however many followers that driver has, or I have when I post it, plus the team, plus the sponsors, you know, it, it becomes like a compound exponential growth for like viewership in ways that TV and, and traditional print can't ever replicate. Like it's, it's a brave new world and there's people that are afraid of it. Like podcaster guy, he's afraid of it and he's way slow to catch on to it. And he's still way slow to, figure out what to post in that people and what people are going to find interesting, but also in a way to, to market himself, to get more work. And that's ultimately the only reason I'm on social media is to get more work. I don't care about the pictures that I'm posting. I don't care about, I mean, I do, but I'm not, I, that's not why I'm posting them. You know, ultimately the, when you boil it all down, I'm, I'm there to like keep the roof over my head and pay for the baby that's inbound in three weeks and, you know, put, put life savings away for rainy days and, you know, but also live a life. And I think that's something like people just kind of, they look down on photographers when we make good money. They're like, Oh, you must charge a lot. It's like, well, yeah, I do charge a lot. My my time is valuable. And like the art that you create is exclusive. Like if, if everyone could do what you did with a camera, then there would be more people doing it. To be honest, I mean, not to sound like a not to sound like a dick or anything, but that's the reality of what it is. Social media, it's so easy for people to sit there and hate, but at the end of the day, like if you have time to be hating on somebody on social media, that's hours that you could be putting into becoming a better photographer. That's hours you could be putting into editing, which becomes better at toning, which maybe makes you better at selecting photos quicker, which then gets you a photo to a social media client faster. That now maybe you can compete with Jamie because you can beat him to getting a photo out. I mean, there's all these things that I think about as pertaining to social media, for instance, through our triple crown season, you know, remote cameras, you've seen it at these, these big races. It's like the remote camera game is like the moon the other night, dude, at these big events. Like there's the red wolf, whatever it is. It's the same photo. Everyone's taking the same, like how are you going to make something different? And that's the remote game with these cameras. I mean, you gotta get really, really lucky. There's talented guys. Clevenger, his remote that he hit of American Pharaoh, where he had like positioned him way after the wire sequentially with this like methodic thought process. Unbelievable. But for the most part, you know, you get lucky stuff happens in front of you and justified jumping in the Preakness happened in front of one of my remote cameras. You get lucky. 
that how lucky I got was the camera shorted out right before that. And I could see it from another camera above. <laughs> and so I see the whole burst and it's like, skip. And the skip was the horse <laughs> jumping in the frame. And that's oh, the first God. picture and him landing and then he's gone. That's all the other was. And so wow. that's that's luck. We, but, we could do an entire podcast. We, we could really do a TV show on your oh, remote yeah. game. Oh, we could do it on luck too. Trust me. And so I don't <laughs> think there's anything there, right? It's just a photo. Like the way he moved and jumped over the tracks in real time was so athletic that I never like just whatever. Right. And he's on the outside. So this camera where they finish for the race, I don't look at it first because we're on deadline. I got to get the good right. stuff and he's close to the yeah. rail. So I go to the, the 16 millimeter lens. Look at this like two, three hours after the race. Well, in the meantime, a photographer with a camera close to that one who had a similar angle post this shot of him jumping. And I look at it on social media and I'm like, oh, dude, I have that shot guaranteed. And sure <laughs> enough, I do. But because I didn't put it out first on social media, like I'm, I've got like five, six, seven clients on deadline that need work right after yeah. the race for everything. So I'm like, I'm not worried about social media on these really big days. I should hire a team or someone to do it, my wife, whatever, but I don't. And so this photo gets out. And so when I post mine, everyone's like, oh, he stole so-and-so's photo. And it's like, you're like, no, I didn't. No, I shot it I, myself. I just, I actually let him first. put his camera next to mine when I shouldn't have, but whatever <laughs> it is. Right. I mean, yeah. And so it's a speed game and that's the, that's the change in social media is like, it but it's provides a, it's a more people game. opportunity to put work out and more clients and more opportunity for photographers, which is unbelievable right now, but you got to be quick because you're competing a- with, guys like you or network cameras or it's a mom speed and dad. game. I agree with you, but I think the real thing that, um, makes you stand out is the quality. And it's not just like, it's not just a picture. It, I've been a horse racing fan my entire life. And every time, you know, for whatever reason, your name comes up, I'm like, he's like photo God. He's a legend. He's the <laughs> legend. <laughs> He's he's so good at what he does because he shows the sport from a, a way that you can see that passion for for horse racing through your pictures. And I like to think that I would I'm doing the same thing with car racing that yeah. I love my car racing and I love being at the races. But you know everybody else is in like a quantity game or not even a just like they just post a picture because they think it's relevant or the one that needs to be seen but it's not it's not the picture it's not the one that needs to be like actually like looked at and appreciated it's just like just diarrhea of 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 photography on social media so when you when you do what you're doing and you post the right stuff and the quality stuff that's where you really grow an audience to have you know the ability to actually build a business off of a social media you know following well, I mean, I think you just hit on it right there and you said something really important and that's what's going to separate, I think, anybody and everybody doing social media, whether it's photography, music, whatever it is, is if you're super passionate about what you're doing and I love horses and the racing and the stories, like that's what I grew up on It's hearing stories about like my parents and grandparents and the horses that they grew up on. So getting to tell those stories with a camera is a privilege to me every day. I'm super, super fortunate that things have worked out because all I wanted to do was be a part of horse racing. I wanted to be a jockey, a trainer, and now I get to tell stories with the camera. And it's Same. Unbelie- it's, it's when you when you boil our job down, when you boil our job down, uh, it's basically you're being paid to go experience cool things and share it with other people. Yeah, and I love it so much. Like I'd want to be there no matter what. If I had to pay my way to go to the Kentucky Derby, Triple Crowns, whatever it was, as a kid, I'd just do anything to be there. 
but now getting paid to be there and to make the pictures, I have a responsibility to the audience and to myself to go off every event with a camera around these horses and to share the sport in a way to me that makes it look as beautiful and as awesome as I saw it when I was three years old for the first time. That's like every time I pick up a camera, that's who I'm making pictures for. Like I might have a client that needs a jockey portrait or a shot at the race or needs this, but I'm shooting it for what three-year-old me wanted to see and making these jockeys and horses look epic and heroic. That's why you see all those like low angle. That's where it all came from is. So, so the really the takeaway is, is if you're a young photographer, that's wanting to, to get into the industry, that's your competition. That, that ultimately right there is your competition in that you have to be somehow, if you can figure out how to be more passionate and more talented than, than the legend Alex Evers. Dude, I, Mike Smith lost his mind when I told him this, but uh, sorry, I just bought my mic here. Um, when we were going for the Triple Crown, and this is like hit or miss, and maybe we'll, we'll end on this, because now like we're at the point with photography where like, I want to take chances in big races. like I want to make crazy pictures that... I mean, they're hitting a home run or I'm striking out, right? So for the Belmont Stakes, I didn't shoot American Pharaoh at all. I was in LA. Economics of it, like, I didn't have a client that was paying my way. I wasn't going to make money, and I wasn't going to go lose money to shoot a race if this horse loses. It was my sister's birthday, so I stay home. Wayne Regretsky over here, bud, let me tell you. (laughs) But... (laughs) But at any rate, so (laughs) I'm here now. I get my triple crown chance with this horse, and... The first thing he did when, when I realized he won the Preakness and we're going, it's like, call my guys at Canon. I go, look, I need an 800. I need a 1.4 converter. I'm shooting the head-on. It's 1,155 meters to the finish line from the head-on spot. So Whoa. That's yeah, a that's, long that's way. metric system. It's far, dude. It's 11, <laughs> That's like five furlongs for horse people, right? Five-eighths of a mile. But I want the high five picture, right? I want the reaction. Yeah. I want Smith looking over and like, I figure he's a New York guy. You started there. Velasquez, all these other guys are in the race. Someone's going to come up and congratulate him on winning the triple crown where he like broke his teeth as a jockey in 89, right? I go back and watch every grade one stakes win of Mike Smith in his career to figure out his reactions and this and this. I must have gone through footage of everything. And I've done this for Hong Kong too. And long story short, he wins the race and no reaction, no celebration, no Come nothing. On, Mike he Smith. looks over, and we talked about this in this panel later about it. And Baffert said, "Look, he's like, you take care of the horse. You don't need to be jerking around and going nuts." And he told a great story about Espinosa. He's like, "I told him, he's like, you stay down on this horse, with war emblem." And he comes up at the line, and he's like, you know, fifty meters to the wire, and he just hand up and going nuts and and the whole mine. And and you know, that's the picture that I wanted to get. I want this high five shot. So I'm going to chase this. I've been shooting for. That 14 I know you keep you keep chasing it. it. You'll you'll get it eventually. But I think but. the story now for social media is of me chasing and missing over and over and over again and going for it. When I get it, it's gonna be legendary. <laughs> like the one story of the error camera when I missed it is like it's just heartbreaking. I don't want to think about it. But I was so close I know. to it. And then I know. But but at the same time, if you when you get it, I think it might be like a little bit of a letdown. Maybe. What if it's not as good as I want it to be? Or what mm-hmm. if it's not the horses I want it to be? But that's that's the thing is you're always chasing the next best picture. There's I'm never I'm Every, never exactly. happy with what I've done. No, yesterday. me neither. You're you're only as good. Like Baffert said it the other day. He's like you're only as good as the last horse you trained or the last race or whatever it is. I mean you're only as good as the last picture. You can't rest on the laurels of making a great picture. And I think when you're starting out too, like I mean I shared this picture and talked about it, but like this is not a great picture by any stretch of the imagination. Like it's just clean background, whatever. Like there's not even clean. There's like poles, but. The false confidence it gave 
to like go and make the next picture and the next picture and keep building off. And I didn't sit there and go, oh, I made this one nice picture and I'm a, I'm a legend and it's over. And like now social media should come bow to me and everyone should tell me how great I am. No, it's like you got to keep going and building and pushing and getting better and better and better. Like I'm nowhere near where I want to be yet. Like it's just Same. It's the, the very beginning. Same. So like I can look at great pictures and see art on the walls, but it's still, it's just a reminder. Like you got to go make that again and again and do it bigger and again and, and again, because there's a, a million people behind you trying to do that same picture, but better than you are. So hundred percent. It's, it's and social media. Like we're telling everyone to put work on social media. We're telling people, let's go compete. Come on, like come bring it. Cause which let's bring it, like bring all art up. Like the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think it's that way with photography too. That's why I teach workshops. It definitely. Talk. It definitely has. Dude, I think we're there. Well, I think I think we're we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap it here, bud. Man, I think we've just finished our first podcast. We're officially podcasters. I know. Now I can put podcaster on my Instagram handle. <laughs> I can put like <laughs> photographer, podcaster, dog dad. That's about it. And husband. That. husband. <laughs> same. Same April, bro. April first. April April Fool's Day weddings right here. Alex and I got we partied on the same day isn't that what you said we partied on the same day how how long are you waiting to play this April Fool's joke out like in five or six years you'd be like yeah we really didn't get married April Fool's no we're we're you know two fools in love love it love it bud all right man until we do this again rated raw leave your comments on Instagram at Jamie Price uh, photo at a underscore evers a underscore evers the legend Legend Tracker is going to be epic on this one. I think we're going to take bets for episode two, how many legends we drop. I don't think there'll be that many. Maybe we'll turn it down a little bit. Maybe episode three will be super lit. Have a great shoot in Hong Kong, and I'll talk to you later, man. You too, man. Cheers. (laughs)